Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 92 of Hack to Start. This episode features Brittany Gorvik, the general manager at Union Square Ventures, a venture capital firm based in New York City. Tyler and I wanted to invite Brittany onto the show to share her story as an entrepreneur and community builder. After working with American Express for a few years, Brittany left to start her own company, G-Trot, which was later acquired by Groupon. Brittany joins us to share her story, how she got into startups, advice for entrepreneurs who are looking to raise funding, the importance of community within the VC industry, and much more. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Brittany. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Tyler and I are super excited to have you on and learn more about, you know, what you're currently up to. But before we dive into that, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, like where you're from and, and what you studied? Sure. So I grew up in North Carolina in the Raleigh area, and I went to school at New York University, and I studied business and film. That's awesome. And so where did your passion for entrepreneurship kind of develop? And, and how did you get into startups from from film? Yeah, so both my parents were entrepreneurs. My sister was an entrepreneur. She had her own clothing line. Um, so I kind of grew up in a family where it was okay to create your own job instead of getting a job elsewhere. So that was definitely a key component that made it easier to consider entrepreneurship as a career path. So out of undergrad, I went and worked at American Express um, on their small business side. So credit cards for small business owners. It's called Open. And I really just love all of the stories of entrepreneurs. So how they start their business, why they started this business, um, what compelled them to do that. So filmmaking, a lot of the film I studied was on uh, documentary filmmaking, and it's all about storytelling. So I continued to carry that through in my career. But it was after a few years at American Express that I decided I had this side project that I was really curious about pursuing as a job. And I'd saved enough money while working at Amex so that I could potentially go take a leap and build a business, uh, even if I wasn't going to take any uh, revenue from it in the first year. That's a great story. And I'm guessing GTROD is the, the project you left Amex to build. So can you tell us a bit more about GTROD and what really motivated you to start it? Yeah, so GTROD was the side project that I was working on while at American Express. I love traveling and I had this goal to visit all seven continents before I was 25, a goal that I reached. And because of that, I spent a lot of time traveling. So I was constantly getting asked by other people about how should they plan their trip? Which tools should, should they use? If they go to a particular city, where should they go to eat or where should they stay? And so this was always an idea on the side of how do you use technology to make this easier? And right around the time in 2010 is when the Foursquare API became very popular. Facebook Connect became um, an open tool for developers to be able to pull information out of. So there were a lot of social 
networks that were opening up their data. And there was a lot of friend data in there, as well as um, trip and travel information. People are letting other people know where they like to go, where they've been. Um, and so there seemed like a real opportunity with GTROT to be built, um, leveraging all of that technology. So I started working on it on the side. And it was when I went to South by Southwest and 2010, um, I took some vacation from work to go down there and I met a lot of other people who were building technology companies. And I realized that I had a product and an idea that was pretty far along. And that was really the catalyst that helped me realize it was time to launch the business now and not wait any longer. So I got back from Austin, I gave my two weeks notice and I started GTRAT. So what were some of the biggest challenges around launching this type of marketplace? So travel is very, it's a topic a lot of people like to talk about. And there's a lot of big competitors who pay a lot of money for SEO in this space. So if you just wanted to appear on Google when people are typing in travel search or travel planning, then there's a lot of competitors who had a lot more money than we did. So that was a little bit daunting at first. But because we were so early leveraging Facebook, there were a lot of cool ways that we could have friends share information with other friends. This was back when you could post something on a friend's wall and it would show up and they would get an alert. And that was mainly what was driving the newsfeed instead of all these ads. So we really had an advantage leveraging the social platforms because they were so new and there was so many people looking for cool and interesting things to do with them. So besides sharing right onto the Facebook wall, what were some of the other growth strategies you used at the time? Yeah, so when we started, we really focused on college students. We kind of took a page out of the Facebook model of how do you find groups of people who are already close-knit and um, leverage those to get the word out. So we had a number of campus reps in some major universities, and they were promoting GTRA as a tool that students could use to book spring break trips. Because most students take those trips together, it's a very social travel experience, and it could leverage learning from other friends who maybe went somewhere the year before and they want to share that information. So we had 12 campuses represented, and we had campus reps there that were promoting and um, sharing with friends and giving out t-shirts and stickers and things like that. And we saw a lot of momentum from those universities, and then we saw it start to spread across other universities that we didn't have campus reps but because friends were going to different schools, it kind of helped build some overlap. So that was one of the kind of growth hacks we did early on to be able to get GTROT out. So with GTROT, you were able to raise some private capital. What was this process like for you? Yeah, so when I started GTROT, I had never raised venture capital. I didn't really know much about venture capital at all. And um, when we started building the business, we uh, talked to a few VC firms that were interested in what we were doing. So that was a totally new learning curve to get up. And I had a business partner and we were talking to some investors on the East Coast. We were talking to some investors in Chicago. And at one point we actually had competing offers from different VC firms. And so that was kind of a surreal moment because we were like, wow, you want to give us how much money, even though, you know, we're just two people kind of scrapping together to build this business. And so that was really interesting. And um, <laughs> we ended up taking capital from Lightbank, which was based out of Chicago. And at the time, this is when Groupon was growing incredibly fast. And a lot of people just thought it was such an amazing company. And it was really on this great growth trajectory. So we intentionally took money from those investors so that we could learn from Groupon, which was like this big darling in the tech community at the time. 
Yeah, that's a pretty interesting story. And, and on that note, GTROT was later acquired by Groupon. So how did this come about? So as I said, uh, our investors at Lightbank to the founders had helped found Groupon. And we were in the same building as Groupon. So they were always close by. And um, we were an independent company from them and we were building our business. But because we were so close, we were constantly getting approached by them. They're like, hey, we think what you're doing is really cool. We'd love to talk. So there were a few conversations along the way as we were building the business that they were just interested in potentially partnering or working with us. So those conversations continued. And at one point, they made an offer to us for GTROT. And this was right when the company was at a crossroads of figuring out whether we should go out and raise more funding to fuel more growth, or if we should look for more strategic ways that we could build revenue. And we saw it as a great opportunity for the team to be able to leverage Groupon's uh, large acquisition machine and their large reach to get our product in the hands of more people. So it seemed like a good opportunity for the business at the time. And um, I think it was, you know, looking back, I think it was the best outcome for our team to, to end up there because Groupon has continued to invest a lot of money in expanding how people think about travel and travel advice. And that's something that at our scale at the time, there was no way we could have had that same reach that they've been able to have. That's really cool. And so now you're the the GM at uh, Union Square Ventures. So what is uh, Union Square Ventures and how did you create the opportunity to join the team there? Yeah, so Union Square Ventures is an early stage venture capital firm. We've been around for 10 plus years. We have over a billion under management and currently 65 active portfolio companies. Some of those companies we've had exit are Etsy and Twitter, Tumblr and Lending Club. Um, we also have a number of other investments, all network-based businesses, things like Stack Overflow, Kickstarter, Meetup, Cloudflare, Sif Science, and a host of other companies. So we are based in New York City, but we have investments across North America and Europe. And my joining of USV was kind of accidental. Um, I was actually, I had sold the business in Chicago. I came back to New York. I was working on a nonprofit called Vets and Tech. The goal was to be able to connect returning military service members who had some technical abilities to job opportunities at tech companies. And as I was doing that, I built a lot of relationships with hiring managers at tech companies across New York. One day, I randomly got an email from Fred Wilson, who's one of the partners at Union Square Ventures. He blogs a lot, so a number of people follow his blog, ABC. And I was kind of surprised to get an email from him, but he was asking me to come in to talk to USV about an opportunity. And when I arrived to talk to them, it was actually a, an interview conversation to join their team <laughs> as the GM of USV, um, which was a, a little bit of like a surprise, but uh, it ended up being a really good fit. And they had gotten my name because I knew so many of their portfolio companies. So my work with Vets and Tech built the relationships that ultimately landed me the job at USB without me even knowing about it. So that's one way to get into VC is just to like fall backwards into it and, and see it as a good opportunity. But that's, that's basically how I ended up there is, is because they asked their network, hey, we're looking for someone to fill this role. Do you have any suggestions? And I guess my name came up a few times. So yeah, so that's pretty much how I landed there. That's awesome. I can only imagine the the surprise. <laughs> it's a good surprise. Yeah, absolutely. So, so as GM, what's your day to day role like, and and what's really involved uh, in that uh, position? 
Yeah, so uh, GM is a very vague title, probably intentionally so, because my job has changed. When I started, a lot of the focus was how can we take our thesis of investing in network effect businesses and apply it to how we support our portfolio companies? So how do we build a network among our portfolio companies so that they can get the resources they need, they can build relationships with peers, and if they have questions, they can help support one another. So that was kind of the mandate when I came in. And that's what I've been working on for the past three years is figuring out how to make that work and how to do it at scale. Because when I started, we had 43 companies. The majority were in New York. And then since then, we've expanded now like a third of our portfolios in New York, a third is in San Francisco, and then like a third is across the United States, Canada, and Europe. So being able to serve more companies, but more geographically dispersed companies has been part of it and finding out ways that even though our companies are all different sizes, like some of them are pre-IPO, some of them are two to three people building a company. How can we leverage all of the individuals to be able to make something very powerful, even if some companies are big and some are small? So we call that the USV network. So I, I manage the USV network. We offer a digital platform for companies to connect. Currently using Slack, we started out using Yammer. And basically, that's a way that every person at one of our portfolio companies is welcome to join that and find their peers. So whether it's you're an engineer, you can join with other engineers. If you do sales or HR or community or marketing or any of the roles that exist in a startup company, you have people that you can trust and you can ask honest questions about you know, this isn't working for us. What have you seen? Or we've never done this before. Do you have any insight? So that's been the focus is like, how do we build this trust network? So we have it digitally. And then we have a, a number of events that we've done in person. I think in total, we've run over 120 educational events. They're only open to people who work at a USB portfolio company. And those are unconference full day summits where people get to exchange stories in a closed door setting and really understand, you know, things that are working, challenges that they've had using real numbers to determine benchmarks for, for different things like growth or, or finance or legal or any of these different groups that we get together. So those have been a huge piece is getting people together to build those like very personal connections. So that continues to fuel the digital network because people know each other. And then people want more one-on-one time. We also offer a peer mentoring program, which is connecting with a peer over the course of three months just to get questions answered. And so we've seen this become really, really powerful for our companies because there's a ton of information out there about startups, but it can sometimes be very challenging to find a place where you can admit the things that aren't going well. And not only is that like part group therapy, but it's also helping to leverage a lot of learnings of what didn't work. And so companies don't have to make the same mistakes if peers have tried things that didn't work. And we've seen our companies be able to accelerate their learning curve much faster than if they were just using external resources to get those answers. Yeah, those are some awesome examples. So on that note, what role does community really play within the VC you know, industry or community? And how do you approach building communities within this space? Yeah, I think one of the core things that has been key for us is building trust in a network. So how do you think about introducing two people who've never met before They aren't colleagues at the same company. The only thing that they have in common is that they have the same investor. So how do you bring them into a 
community and enable them to build trust or relationships with them another. So that's been kind of the, the goal, because I think once you have that trust, it doesn't matter which platform you use, whether you're face-to-face, whether you're talking over Skype, whether you're talking in a Slack channel, uh, that's kind of the core currency that needs to be there to be able to open up and kind of get value out of the network. So I think that's been the main component that we focused on. But I think in terms of like how we've gone out and built that community is a lot of learning. And I've been fortunate because most of our portfolio companies have large communities that I've basically tapped into this knowledge network for my own purposes of building our community, like learning from Etsy. They have great community groups that support sellers and the way that they've structured those so that people can ask questions. They occasionally have Google Hangouts to like ask more questions. That has been a model that we implemented because it works so successfully for them. And thinking about Foursquare, where they had these super users who had special admin privileges that they could help establish new places, they could moderate behavior, those kind of super users, we see that same behavior in our network. Is there people who are really engaged? They're the ones pushing the conversation forward. They're the ones that are helping jump in if someone needs help and I'm not like physically present in the Slack channel to be able to help them with it. So I think there are so many great lessons from our portfolio about how community can improve the business and make it really scalable that I just keep taking those same lessons and incorporating them back into how we build what we do. And I think it's really powerful. And Union Square Ventures was an early proponent of building a network among portfolio companies. And I think that that role has only just taken off in a lot of other VC firms um, where they've recognized that there is a lot of power and value in, in doing this and looking to kind of the people who are operating to be able to give advice to each other instead of having a top-down approach where the VC firm is hiring tons of in-house, you know, quote-unquote, like experts to give advice to companies. Instead, you can actually connect the people who are in the trenches to one another, and they're probably going to have better answers for what's working, what isn't, than someone who maybe spent a lot of time studying or researching this area, but is no longer kind of in the tactical day-to-day. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So outside of USV, you've also launched another group called the Gladiator Club. So what is this club and what really motivated you to start it? Yeah, so the Gladiator Club is an organization that I built with the program director at New York Angels, Vanessa Pastrito. And what we got together and realized is that especially for women CEOs who are going out to raise venture capital, there was a large gap between the number of women being able to secure seed funding and then the number of women who were able to secure Series A funding. And to me, that was surprising that there was such a gap because Union Square Ventures invests at the Series A stage and later. We rely on earlier seed investors to invest in these companies first before they would be at the scale that we would invest. And we just weren't seeing that many women entrepreneurs. So when I was talking to Vanessa, she works at the seed stage. Um, she kept saying, like, there are a lot of women coming up in the pipeline. They're they're going to get there. It's just taking time for them to get up there. And even after some time, we realized there was still a gap there. So it's a peer community for women founders who've either raised seed funding or raised Series A funding and having a forum to talk about how they get to the next stage of funding. So whether that's like getting feedback on their pitch deck, getting feedback on how they're 
actually pitching in the room, getting connections to other investors who may be a good fit. It was just really using that community approach to support entrepreneurs be able to get to the next stage. So that was started about 18 months ago. Uh, We run monthly breakfasts. They're just 90 minutes. We have anywhere from 15 to 20 women who come each time. It usually is a little bit different group because women really get a lot of value when it's uh, when they're fundraising. But once they've kind of completed their fundraising process, they go back out, they put their heads down, they get back to work. So we've, I think, had over 60 women go through the program and every single one has raised venture capital in some way. And um, a number have raised venture capital because of the connections and the information they've received from Gladiators Club. That's really awesome. That sounds like an amazing uh, initiative and, and you know, something that's generating some, some awesome results for the people involved. Yeah, we, we hope so. We think that um, we'd be happy to open it up to more people than just women. But we saw there was a huge need just in how women were approaching the funding process. And so one day maybe we'll open it up. But we called it Gladiators Club because being a CEO is, is like being a warrior entering a ring and gladiators wear skirts and so do most women. So that was kind of <laughs> the title. <laughs> That's awesome. So outside of startup, um, you've also traveled a ton, as, as you mentioned earlier, reaching two pretty incredible milestones, visiting all seven continents before turning 25 and then visiting 50 countries before the age of 30. So what were some of these experiences like? Yeah, well, I've, I've definitely been very lucky um, that I've been able to travel as much as I have. Uh, like I said early on, it was every free dollar was going to some trip that I was planning. So I, I think I caught the bug from being a military brat myself. We moved a fair bit when I was younger, and then my parents were always taking us on trips whenever we had breaks from school. So I, I was very fortunate to get to see a lot of the world when I was younger. And I made the decision that I really wanted to continue to push myself to go view how other people in the world live. I think it's given me such a great perspective in how I think about investing in companies. Like at Union Square, I I sit on our investment team as well. And just being able to understand more of how the world works has really pushed me to want more technology to reach some problems that many people still face, both here in the US and, and elsewhere. In terms of getting the number of continents and the number of countries you know, I didn't want it to be just a checkbox, but I did want to get outside of my comfort zone. And that was kind of my way to, to gauge it. And when I was 19, I had already been to, I think I already got to four continents. So I I had three left to go. And I said, that seemed really doable. So, (laughs) so getting to Antarctica, I thought would be the hardest, but the last continent that I actually got to was Australia. And I did it just before my 25th birthday. uh, Because I just, I couldn't find the time, but getting to Antarctica was amazing. I would recommend anyone who loves travel to consider putting it on their list. Uh, You can only get there really by boat unless you have a ton of money, you can get there by plane. But it's just like going to the moon. (laughs) There's no trees. There's no people. There's, you know, a ton of penguins who've never seen humans before. And it's a pretty surreal place to go. And it's right here on Earth. So if you want to go to Mars, that's maybe the closest feeling that you'll get to it here. Once I got to all the continents, I needed another goal to get to more countries. So 50 before 30 was was the next one. And it's been pretty remarkable. But 
I don't know if I actually want to go to every country in, uh, on earth. I don't know if that's on my list or I'd rather double back and spend more time in some of the other countries. So I need to set a new travel goal. I just haven't decided what it is yet. <laughs> you need to buy a scratch map and scratch every everything off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't been to all 50 states yet, so I think I need to get that one off. I think I'm at like 46 or something. So there's a few more I have to hit just in the home country anyway. So continuing on the topic of travel, do you have any awesome travel stories you can share with us? Well, when you're asking that, one of the things that comes to mind is, um, so I went to NYU undergrad and I decided that, or I realized that I could graduate in three and a half years instead of four years because I had enough credits and I had taken kind of full credit loads uh, during semesters. So I, I asked my parents if they would buy my plane ticket to South America since I was getting out of college sooner. So saving some money on the college side. So they agreed. So I, I backpacked around South America for a few months, which was great because it was like in the middle of winter in New York and it was the summer in, in South America. But the one memory that really sticks out is I was in Argentina in Patagonia. And in the summer, they have these chairlifts for the ski slopes. So in the summer when there's no snow, they actually put mountain bikes on the chairlifts with you. And then when you get to the top, you can mountain bike down. So you don't have to bike up and it's really fun. It's a good idea. Um, so it's pretty cool. So we go up there and I'm starting to go down and only like, you know, maybe a fourth of the way down do I realize that my brakes have given out on my bike. <laughs> um, oh, like man. I try to stop, I try to fix it. There was no choice. We were kind of in the middle of this back road. They were like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. Like, go ahead, go ahead. And so I just, you know, I just got back on the bike and I went down and very soon realized that like there was no fixing the brakes. But uh, if you put enough of your body weight over the front tire, you can kind of slow yourself down. <laughs> but I ended up passing like everyone down the mountain, just kind of screaming like, move, move. I have no brakes. <laughs> I got to a flat enough area at the bottom that, that I could finally uh, like slow down. Um, so that was one of the scarier moments and definitely one of those moments where when I told my parents that afterwards, they were like, we can't believe we let you go there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's an amazing story. Yeah. So do you have any most recent apps that you've downloaded lately that you've fallen in love with? That's like, it's such a tough question, especially, <laughs> especially being in VC. I feel like there's constantly new apps and I always download. So I probably have more apps than the average person. It's like hundreds of apps that are, are constantly filling up my phone. And then only like months later, I realized I've never opened them or like they weren't useful and couldn't believe them. But I think the two that one's like a cool one, and I think is really interesting. And then one is just one that I've started using every day and being addicted to. So the one I think is really cool is called Micmac. It's M-I-K-M-A-K. And it's actually a company founded out of Brooklyn in New York. And what it does is it sells products, but it uses short videos, like almost comedic videos, like something you'd see on Vine to sell those products. And there's something like really addictive and interesting about watching these like little sort of funny videos. But instead of them just being about random content, it's more like the next wave QVC. So if you haven't checked it out, I would say it's it's interesting. Um, we're not investors or anything, but there's something that it's a good way to kill some time if you're just looking for something entertaining besides just Instagram. And then the second app that I've become addicted to is the New York Times crossword puzzle app. 
so silly, but I love games on phones and I try and find games that maybe make me feel like I'm not just getting stupid, <laughs> like actually learning something new. So they have like a mini puzzle that you can do every day on the crossword. So that one's pretty boring, but if you haven't tried it out yet, it, it can be pretty addicting over time. That's amazing. I'm, it's not the same type of app, but I'm, a, I'm addicted to this app called Merge. I don't know if you've tried it yet, but uh, I can't stop playing it. It's so good. What does Merge do? I, I might have to download that. <laughs> it's, it's a good. It's just you, you're matching blocks to colors, and it's just, a, it's just a simple, nice UI. So I'm a product designer, and I just, that's one reason why I fell in love with it. But if you're looking for a new game to be addicted, definitely check it out. That's awesome. Yeah, I also love Fault. F-O-L-T. I don't know if you play that one. And Two Dots, those two. If you see me on the subway, I'm probably playing one of those two games, if not the crossword puzzle. <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at Fault now. It looks cool. I'll definitely download this it's after like, the show. It's like colored blocks. It's like very simple, but there's something really addicting. And I'm one of those people that like refuses to buy in-app lives or anything. So I just get addicted to these games, run out of lives and have to wait the 20 minutes to be able to play again. So, <laughs> probably a big waste of time, but uh, <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any recommendations of great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video or blog post? I mean, obviously this podcast is great. So <laughs> if you Thank listen you. to the podcast, you should listen to Hack to Start. I am a big fan of podcasts. I think Broad Mike is another one that I've really enjoyed. Kelly Hoey is talking to different innovators in the tech community about how they've started their companies, investing, and she focuses on on women especially. So I think that's great. I love Planet Money. Also a big fan of audiobooks from the library. Um, that's another great way to get content on audio. And it's great because if you're not sure if you like the book or not, um, it's free to download books from the library. So get a library card. Um, I, I like to revisit some older books that I haven't read in a while. The most recent was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Old book, but there's so many great components of that that I think still resonate today across many multiple mediums. So if you haven't read that in a while, it's worth picking up again. Yeah. And then I'm just like addicted to using Nuzzle, which is a an app that basically takes your Twitter feed surfaces the most popular content out of there and then you can read articles uh, based on that so i try and follow a bunch of people which means my twitter feed can get busy so nuzzle is a great way to just get out great content yeah absolutely those are two good recommendations so we'll make sure that we provide the link so other people can uh, can check that out and we're not investors in any of those i just <laughs> like <products. laughs> yeah absolutely so do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think others should know about i have like some specifically written down that i'm happy to share um, you know, I think some of the advice that has helped me as an entrepreneur has been, you can always go get a job, has been a great boost of confidence. When I left my full-time job to start GTRAD, I was really terrified, like going with no salary and kind of having this mentality of like, well, you can always get a job it allowed me to take that risk because I felt like, well, if, if everything goes wrong, I'm you know, I work hard, I'm willing to go flip burgers or do whatever it takes. Um, so I'm never going to go hungry if I'm willing to work hard. And fortunately, I, I haven't had to go get a job in a long time. I've found jobs that allow me to be autonomous. But that's, that's been one that's boosted confidence for me. And then there's one that I will quote, and I will read this one so I don't mess it up. It says, sometimes you're giving and sometimes you're receiving, but it doesn't really matter because the real reward of that give and take doesn't lie in the value of what's being exchanged. The real reward lies in what flows between us, our connection. 
and that's from uh, Nipun Mehta, and he helped. He gives a fabulous TED talk on the subject, but I think that pretty much sums up a lot of the community building stuff that I've done is by building the connections. That's where the value is, not necessarily in what's being exchanged in those connections. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, those those are both awesome uh, pieces of advice. Brittany, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was awesome to have you on the show. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. And keep up the great podcast. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.